morning. So last week, we introduced our desire as a church to pursue a full-time youth worker. And uh, so my name is Mike Johnson, and I serve alongside Alan Krim and uh, Kyle and Karen Clarkson every Wednesday night during the school year. Uh, we minister to 18 to 20, sometimes 25 middle school and high school uh, students upstairs. My involvement with the youth started about 20 years ago. I decided to volunteer just for a little bit because uh, my wife Amy had two nieces and a nephew that were in junior high and senior high, and I was just going to, you know, help out until they graduated. So uh, they graduated, and about that time we started bringing other kids from our neighborhood to youth group, and I was just going to hang around until they graduated. So you know how the rest of it goes uh, 20 years later. We do have a uh, two-and-a-half-minute video that we're going to present of uh, Matt Deaver. is a young man at the time who was saved and discipled in our youth group and went on to the mission field and uh, his close connection with Kyle Clarkson, which he'll talk about, um, and instrumental in his uh, uh, upbringing in the faith. And so as, just, as we get ready to play that, we'll just ask you to continue to pray with us and, and consider your support and involvement as we look forward to going down this road of looking for a youth pastor. So go ahead and roll that video. Hi, my name is Matt Beaver, and uh, my experience with having a youth pastor uh, was literally life-changing. Uh, I met my youth pastor shortly after I became a Christian in high school, and he was the first person in my life uh, to, uh, to meet with me regularly, to disciple me, and to help me understand more what it looks like to... Um, walk with Jesus, to know the scriptures, to uh, be a part of a church, and, and the experience we had in our youth group was, was one where um, I really grew to know God more, where I, where I came to deepen in my relationship with Jesus in a way that um, has still impacted me uh, 20 years later. Um, in fact, it was my, my youth pastor uh, that first introduced me to God's uh, plan and vision to bring the gospel to all nations and all people. Um, he handed me my first missionary biography just um, within a year or two after of coming to faith in Christ. And, and reading that is what God used to call me to serve uh, in missions, which I've been doing now for um, over five years. And so that's, that's been um, transformational and, and uh, ha has had an ongoing impact in my life, even until this moment. Um, uh, my youth pastor was the instrument God used um, to disciple me, to grow my relationship, to help me understand prayer, to help me understand um, God's vision for the nations and and really just what it looks like to be in a discipling relationship. You know, we would meet every week, uh, once a week at the same restaurant, and we got to build a relationship with uh, the waiter there, where we got to share the gospel with him. Um, so, so we got to got to learn from him what it looks like to be involved in evangelism and. Um, and also just to learn what it looks like to, to be able to share my heart, my burdens, my struggles. Um, I'll never forget the time where I, I was reading my Bible 
and, and all of this was just so new for me. And um, I remember reading about Jesus teaching that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And um, I, again, just I was just learning to grasp the gospel and what it means to be a Christian. And, and that struck me and, and uh, deeply bothered me because I knew that I was, I was not righteous. In fact, I was not very religious. And yet these Pharisees uh, who tried to seek God, Jesus is saying, even they aren't religious enough. And, and I remember calling Kyle, my youth pastor, and just uh, in tears being like, how can I have this relationship with God? Um, and him walking me back to the gospel and helping me understand um, that we can't, but uh, through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, we can, we can have that forgiveness and relationship. And so these were just formative years in my life that uh, I praise God for. I thank God for his ongoing um, ministry and influence in my life. And um, without that, I just, I can't imagine how differently uh, the beginning of my Christian life would have, would have started out. So my experience of having a youth pastor is someone who uh, not only taught me from the Word of God what it looks like to follow Christ, but modeled that. Um, I got to see that as, as my youth pastor got married and I got to be a part of his wedding and got to understand what it looks like to, to be a godly husband. And all of those factors um, have just had a profound impact on my life. And so I, I praise God for... Um, the faithful ministry of that youth pastor in my life, and uh, we'll, we'll be eternally grateful for it. So obviously, youth ministry has had its blessings, and the Lord has brought uh, fruit from that. We do what we can with our volunteer-led ministry right now, but we also understand that there's certain things that we could do a lot better with a, with a full-time pastor, so in asking you to consider uh, supporting that. So hand it over to Doug. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to uh, share that we have our uh, summer series starting on uh, June 22nd, a Wednesday evening. So every year, we, for at least past few years, we've been meeting four Wednesdays out of the summer, uh, looking at different topics and uh, things. This summer, we're doing a, a video series by Pastor Kyle Eidelman, if you're not familiar with him. Um, I, we put a link in the, the Creekside News so you can watch a little short uh, video, and we'll show it next Sunday. Uh, just to get you a little familiarization uh, about uh, Pastor Kyle. Uh, but we're looking at, you know, how can we make a change in our world that we get so caught up in our day-to-day -day lives? Um, we, we need to focus on the fact that we're called to make a change. But it doesn't have to be something where you're going out and, and you know, I've got to reach 1,000 people or 10,000 people, whatever. It's one at a time. And that's, that's the focus of this series, how we can make a change one person at a time. Um, and use our, our gifts and our abilities as, as God intended. Okay? So we're going to be meeting starting the 22nd and uh, those uh, four Wednesday evenings. And there'll be more to come for that. Thanks. Hey, Steve. From behind you? Yes. Hey, I uh, really quick, I want to thank everybody on behalf of Kara and I so much. I'm, did I scare you? I'm sorry. Didn't mean to alarm you. It's okay. I want to thank everybody for their generosity yesterday at the baby shower. 
and um, how wonderful everybody was. Um, you know, Kara and I, uh, Kara's from central Nebraska, and I'm from southern Alabama. Neither one of us have any family up here, but um, I can speak for both of us whenever I say that uh, thanks to Creekside, we have family. And we just love and thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you guys so much for your generosity, for welcoming us into the church home. And we're just so blessed to be a part of everything. Great. So I'll promise not to scare you again next time. Didn't scare me. I just heard voices from behind. It was like, it's great. It's great. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, so, so special to have Aaron and Kara and, uh, and their family, uh, growing family. And so we're glad to have them and uh, grateful for that. Just want to welcome each of you here. If you're uh, worshiping with us in person or online, if you happen to be here and this would be your first time, uh, if you happen to get a bulletin which was handed to you when you came in, there is an extra flap on that. If you'd fill that out, if you have some time and then we take an offering uh, in the box on the welcome table. We don't pass the offering plate, so we'd appreciate you putting your information in there for us. We'd have a way to contact you. That would be great. I have one other announcement, and that is that coming up on the 4th of July, we have traditionally had a kind of a fellowship and an outreach time. Uh, because we have a great lawn and it's a great place to watch the Urbandale fireworks, uh, we invite everybody to come and use our facility. They can park in the parking lot and they can put up their lawn chairs and they can watch the fireworks and it doesn't cost them a thing. So we're trying to uh, do that again and we provide, you know, some free food and uh, free uh, uh, snow cones and the kinds of stuff like that. So if you'd be willing to help out with that outreach, uh, there are sign-up sheets on the welcome table. Sure appreciate that. And Alana and Mark, our outreach team, would sure appreciate your help in that regard. So appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, uh, we sing about your faithfulness, and I know that uh, so many can give testimony to your faithfulness, and I pray that we would grow in our understanding of that, not just intellectually, but as we step out in faith and see you come through time and time again. I pray that your spirit would work this morning, uh, that you would accomplish your purposes through your word uh, for your glory and that you'd speak to our hearts in the way that you know that each of us has a need this morning. I pray that whatever it is that comes out of my mouth that you would somehow use it and uh, if you need to, uh, people to hear it differently so that they hear it in the way that they need to that'd be good but I pray that you would be glorified and that your, uh, your, your word would be honored and that Jesus would be magnified and that our lives would be changed and transformed through the study of your word, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, uh, an old movie called Stand and Deliver, which was a story, a true story, based on a true story of a teacher in the Los Angeles school district who had a an environment in which academic studies was not really of the top priority, okay? It was a difficult school district to teach in. And he took a group of students and got them excited about mathematics. He was a math teacher. And he, he prepared his students for a standardized test in California that was like top-of-the-line test to get into most of the upper-level schools, he took 11 students to take the test, and every one of them excelled on the test. 
But because of where they came from, the administrators of the tests said, uh, you know, we really think that you cheated on the test. You have to take another test. And so, obviously, they were devastated, but they said, okay, and the teacher said, okay, well, we'll do it. So they studied and studied and studied. They went back again. They took the second test, and they all excelled again. They actually, when faced with a very, very excruciating test, stood and delivered the goods. They did it. And this morning, as we open the Scriptures, we're going to look at a man who had to face a test that was probably the most difficult test that anyone has ever had to face, or at least one of the most difficult ones that anyone has ever had to face. In the study of Abraham, in Genesis 22, when he was asked by God to offer up his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Isaac, as a sacrifice, Abraham stood and delivered. And his example, I think, uh, serves a valuable lesson for those of us who are trying to understand what a compelling faith looks like in uncertain times. In fact, he provides us with encouragement for our own spiritual growth and equips us to live, I think, in these uncertain times. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22, or if you have your device, or if you don't have any one of those things, there should be a Bible in the seat underneath the seat in front of you uh, somewhere close if you want to grab that I'm going to read the text in Genesis 22 verses 1 through 19 where I'm looking at a couple of ways that Abraham's faith instructs and inspires godly living in a contrary and chaotic world and I, I know that I don't have to convince you that we live in a contrary and chaotic world you just have to wake up every morning. Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and, two, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from the distance, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you have fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went out and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Quite a text, quite a story, a lot going on here, but as we look at it, I'm kind of looking at it from a couple of different angles. And the first way that Abraham, I think, instructs and inspires us is that we see that Abraham, first of all, portrays for us what genuine faith looks like. Okay, He gives us a picture of what it looks to exhibit genuine faith. In Genesis 22, 1, it says, after these things, what things? Now, we've been marching through Genesis, not chapter by chapter, but we skipped a few chapters, so I think immediately he has in view what took place in chapter 21, particularly that Abraham has, has, has been uh, the, seen the birth of his son, Isaac, the son of promise, okay? So Isaac has been born, the son that he had been promised. Secondly, we see that Ishmael, the son of Hagar, has been banished. And thirdly, we see that he's been hanging out with the Philistines for quite a while. If you looked at verse 34 of chapter 21, and Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. So here we have Abraham is this long-awaited son that he's told he was going to have. He has the son, and he's hanging out. He's an old guy, and he's just kind of life is good, okay? And then we see that God says there's a test. Then God tested him. Now, we don't see it in this text, but through the text, Genesis 12, beginning with verse 10 and following, in Genesis chapter 20, all throughout Abraham's life, he's kind of struggled a little bit with his faith. I mean, his faith has been tested, and he he hasn't always been stellar. And so God comes to him at this point and says, okay, I want to find out, you know, where you're at in your faith. And he wants to understand Uh, What sort of trust has been forged on the anvil of Abraham's wanderings, on on the anvil of Abraham's uh, welcoming in this son, and of Abraham's dealing with life? And so, would Abraham stand and deliver, or would he fail the test, this most difficult test? And I think that Abraham manifests for us... uh, this genuine faith in a couple of ways that, that we can as well. And first of all, uh, in, in this way that he manifested his faith, it's too convincing. He, he, he showed it through his attitude, his attitude of faith. Look at verses 1 and 2. Came about that God tested him and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God hadn't spoke to Abraham for a while. Back in chapter 18 was the last time that God had spoken to him, but he remembered his voice. Isn't it interesting how our, we recognize voices? 
Now, it's harder on the phone sometimes because you get a little confused, you know. Some, but, but, you know, like, you don't even have to see the person. But if you have known this person and they speak to you, boom, you recognize it. Abraham recognized his voice and his attitude took two forms. First of all, we see his attitude. He was comfortable with God. What does he say when God says, Abraham, here I am. I love that. And we see it twice. He says this in chapter 22, verse 1. He says it again in verse 11. And he says it again, but not to God. He says it to his son in verse 7. Here I am. And when I think about that, it's it's just like he's just real. He's authentic. He's available. He doesn't have anything to hide. And he's eager to hear what what God wants. He, He wants to hear it. It seems to me that the ears of those with genuine faith, they don't dread, but they delight to hear the voice of God. And we welcome His voice to to speak to us. The other day I was out in the yard and I was walking around. I was going to put something in the garbage uh, can which is outside. And our neighbor lady who's an elder lady, she was outside in her yard, and she, we haven't seen her much, you know, and I've had some interaction with her, and I knew that she had gone through some tough times, and uh, just this, this came into my, my mind, this just popped into my mind. Go talk to her. I didn't hear any audible voices or anything, it just popped into my mind. Go, go see how she's doing. And I kind of like, initially, I struggled with it, because I kind of thought, I'm on, my, I'm on mission here, you know. I got, I got things to do. But after an initial hesitation, I went over and I, and I engaged with our neighbor. And that's not like the first time I ever talked to her. I've talked to her a few times. And I just was able to find out what was going on in her life. And we had a, a really, I think, encouraging conversation. And I was able to pray with her and for her. I said, well, you know, would it be okay if I just prayed with you and, and prayed for you? Because she shared some stuff. I said, like, listen to God. When I was uh, leading mission teams overseas, one of the things we had, how do you know if this is a success? Did I listen to God? When God speaks, did I go? Did I do? And I think this is what Abraham models for us. He's, he's there. He's ready to go. Here I am. Are, are, are you eager to hear from God? Here I am. Here I am. And God speaks to us. He speaks to us through these promptings of the Spirit of God. This is the way. Walk ye in it. He speaks to us. And, and yeah, maybe I should, I should call that person. God brought them to mind. I should pray for them. God brought this to mind. I should, I, I, I need to, I need to, that ministry needs some help. I think I'm going to give them some money. And so God speaks to us in, in that way. And then we see that God, God also speaks to us uh, by, by the, the precepts from His Word, which is the primary way that He speaks to us. He tells us, oh, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. So are we doing that? Am I listening to God when He says, forgive one another? Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Did He really say that? Yeah, I was just talking to a brother yesterday, a different place, a different location, and he says, you know, there's, I'm concerned about some of the people that he knew because they're not forgiving each other. He says, you know what, God's not going to forgive them. 
I'm concerned for what's going on in their hearts. And are we forgiving? And God also speaks to us through the proclamation. He speaks to us through other people, wise counselors who know the Word of God, who hear the Word of God, and speak the truth of God into our lives. Here I am. Can we say that? He was comfortable with God. Then he was confident in God. Once God got his attention, uh, we see what he did. And he said, he tells him, he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. I don't know. I tried to think about Can you imagine? I mean, Abram is like over 100 years old. And he's, he's got his son of promise. And he's living okay in the Philistine land. And God says, Okay, now take him and sacrifice him. We don't know for sure. We don't have no idea whether Isaac had become too important to Abraham. We don't know that. But we do know is that God knew the conflict and the struggle that he was asking him to engage in. He made it very clear who he was to take. Now, we know Abraham had another son, right? Ishmael. But he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And then he names him Isaac. He knew the conflict that this call to obedience would create in Abram's heart. To obey meant taking the life of another human being. And not just the life of another human being, but the life of the human being in which Abram had all his hopes in the promises of God invested. It would be to take this one and to offer him his spiritual hopes were built. And, it, and here's the deal. A child's sacrifice was like common among the pagans, but it was alien to Abraham. And God has said in his word, it was an abomination to God. So, so it's like, what in the world is going on? And then the thought of a, a human being as a burnt offering was totally alien to Abraham at this point. So that on a lot of counts, it was like, this is a really strange that what God is what God is asking of me you know I don't we used to live up in northwest Iowa it was kind of like uh, just we lived just on the outskirts of, of Dutch country you know and it would be like it would be like a Dutchman coming up and say hey let me take you out and I'll buy your lunch you know it's like whoa whoa that's rather strange uh it, it, would be, it would be like, it would be like uh, you know, the, the Cyclone fans rooting for the Hawks in the Cyhawk series. It's like, or vice versa. It's like, this is, just doesn't compute. And so he's, he's strange. And Abraham's confidence in God is evident in the fact that while he's grappling with this apparent contradiction, this is the son of promise, and, and I'm supposed to kill him. So if he's the son of promise and I kill him, then how is he going to be the son of promise? And he's grappling with that. But what does he do? He stepped out in obedience. He didn't say, but God, wait a second. Uh, God, are you sure? Now, I mean, maybe he did internally. We don't know that. It's not recorded in the text. But he stepped out and he didn't have it all figured out. I think that's the thing that strikes me. He didn't have all of his T's crossed and his I's dotted. He just did what he knew God wanted him to do. Okay? That's faith. Belief in action. 
Mark and Mary Bristow are in Haiti right now because they believe God moved them to go. Faith in action. In a few months, some of the rest of our congregation is going to be headed to Haiti. Faith in action. Because they believe that that's where God wants them to be. And they don't have all of it figured out. You go on a short-term mission trip, you don't have it all figured out. Because let me tell you what, whatever you plan to do when you go and where you go is not going to be what happens. 100%. I mean, some of it will happen, but there will be changes. I'm kind of laughing because my nieces, two of my nieces and, and one of their husbands is going on a mission trip. And they've been, they've been assured now that their, their, their lodging and stuff is going to be all, uh, you know, cushy. I didn't say anything when they told me that. But I just kind of chuckled inside thinking, well, that's what they're telling you now. May happen, may not happen, but be ready for it not to happen. Okay. You don't know how are the, what's going to happen back home. How are things going to be taken care of? Where's the money going to come from for us to get to this mission project that we know that God or convinced that God wants us to be on? It doesn't all happen. You see, trust in God's character stands behind every act of obedience. Do we trust God's character? Do we trust Him enough to share the gospel with our coworkers? with our neighbors, to ask them, can we pray with you? Do our fellow students, do we ask, do we, we trust God enough to give money in support of a ministry, like maybe even for a youth pastor? Do we trust God enough to pray for our enemies? I've been reminded of that, you know, I see things going on in the news and things that I'm looking, I'm going, I just get irate inside and just get mad and I think these people are my enemies and then I'm reminded oh yeah God said something about that maybe I should pray for them instead of just bash them and not that I should bash them but maybe I should pray for them no not maybe I should I should be praying for them because they really are not the enemy they're victims of the enemy I heard someone say it once, I really believe it. You read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. If it moves, it's not the enemy. If it breathes, it's not the enemy. (laughs) It's a victim of the enemy because Satan is the one who's moving in these people to do this stuff. Now, you can have a theological discussion about that later if you want, but uh, I'm not trying to make a whole theological point. But this is the issue. He, he, He moved, it was his attitude then we see it's in our actions it's in Abraham's actions in his actions belief determines behavior you really believe only that which motivates you to action I can talk all about faith but uh, devoted compliance to difficult commands is really what faith is about devoted compliance to difficult commands is what faith is is about that's faith with it's faith is obedience with feet on it okay it's you're doing something about what God has laid on your heart and so we see two convictions about uh, God that motivated Abraham's faith Abraham's faith I'm sorry we were back in earlier it's hard for me now to convert over to calling him Abraham when I was calling Abram for so long so here we see first of all conviction about God's power verses three and four so Abraham 
rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. You wonder what Abraham was thinking about in those three days? He had to travel up to Jerusalem. And he's, I think, trying to settle the conflict in his mind as to how this is going to play out. How is it that Isaac can be killed and God's promises can be met without compromising his conviction that God doesn't change and God's character is true? Well, it's hinted at in verse 5. Look at verse 5. And Abraham, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will return. The writer of Hebrews tells us what he was thinking. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 17 through 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son, it was he to whom it was said, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham's confidence was in God's power to raise his son from the dead. So armed with that conviction, he set out on his mission. In verses 6 and 7, he took the wood, the burnt offering, and he headed off to do it, and then he is kind of like, I think, set back maybe, because his son goes, hey dad, we got some wood, we got some fire, where's the offering? Oh, yeah, it must have tested his resolve, but he carried through, and so we see the conviction of, of God's power, he's convicted he had conviction about God's power, and he had conviction about God's provision. He says in verse 8, And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And we know that that's what happened because we read the story. Uh, they went, and Abraham was just about ready to strike his son when God intervened and said, No, don't do it. Now I know you're, you're, you would willingly offer him. And so, look, there was a ram caught in the thicket over there. And God would provide, God provided for himself a lamb at that point. And God raised, and the angel intervened, okay? And Abraham said, God will see to it. That's he named the place. And Abraham called the name, verse 14, of the place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will will be provided. I like what John Ortberg says about faith. He says that the number one reason human beings avoid doing what, it, what God says is fear. This genuine faith requires facing our fears. Head on as we act in obedience and we trust God for the results. That's what faith is. I'm afraid, but I'm going to trust God because he said he would do it, and I'm acting in obedience, and I don't know what's going to happen just visited with our youngest daughter who is overseas right now and she's uh, she's doing like 
cold call evangelism on a college campus uh, in another culture. She's just, they're going to the campus and they're just walking up to people and say, hey, can I, can I talk to you about something? And sure. And so they've got their, their little method was uh, three diagrams, you know, man's all messed up and uh, you're messed up and, uh, you know, the, the world's messed up, but uh, God has the answer to the, the problem and, uh, and sharing their faith. I don't know if you've ever, you know, how many of you ever really done cold call evangelism, but it's, it's kind of, can be kind of intimidating. Now, I can imagine, and it's even more intimidating when it's not even your own culture. Maybe it's less intimidating, I don't know. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not necessarily the most exciting thing to do. I remember being dropped off in Kansas City, and I told you that story, when we were in college. And we went into the south side of Kansas City in the neighborhood, and I was definitely not in the majority. And uh, it was a little bit awkward and a little bit frightening. But I'm here today, by God's grace. And so it's facing our fears and acting in obedience and trusting God for the results. So that's what we see Abraham doing in a very, very real way. When Abraham was asked to give what he loved the most, he faced his fears and he showed how much we can love God, how much we can demonstrate that love for God. And God proved faithful in in verse 12. And uh, so I, I just want to ask, you know, where, where do you think God may be asking you to step out in faith? Now, this dude's 100, so, you know, Gene's not here this morning, uh, he's 103, uh, so I don't think any of us is exempt. Where is God asking us to step out in faith? In obedience, to face our fears. Is it maybe some of us guys need to be a better spiritual leader in our homes? To take the bull by the horns and say, okay, that's God's call on my life as a leader of this home. Maybe it's getting baptized. Well, I profess faith in Jesus, but I've never really been baptized. I've never really told the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's being more bold and sharing the gospel with our own family members or our own neighbors at school maybe it's standing up against the marxist ideology which is doesn't which is anti-god okay i didn't stand up against it and say no this is not true maybe it's stepping out in faith and coming alongside and hiring a, a youth pastor at creekside church yeah but we don't have all the answers we don't have it all figured no we don't the real issue is coming to a conclusion that this is what God wants, or what God really is directing. Because I've seen a lot of people say, well, I'm just taking it on faith. I'm just going down on faith. Well, you're, you're crazy, you know, because you know, God didn't say it. God didn't command it in His Word. There's nothing, no underpinnings that would give you this direction. You're just acting on your own and thinking that God's going to somehow bless it. And usually, you know, God doesn't. Now, sometimes we act in faith, believing this is what God wants, and it's not what He wants, but we didn't know that until we acted and, and trusted Him for it. So we, we, we step out in faith. Like Abraham. What did he name the place? The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Or another way to, to say, translate it is, the Lord will see to it. <laughs> okay. The Lord will see to it. We're just going to act. So the first 
way that, that Abraham gives us direction and guidance and instruction in our, our faith and inspires us is he portrays genuine faith to us. But there's another way that I think that he inspires and instructs us here to help us live godly in an uncertain world, and that is that Abraham points us to genuine forgiveness. Abraham, in his actions here, points ahead to two significant events that reveal God's love and provision for fallen humanity. And the first way, one is the crucifixion. He points us to the crucifixion that paid the price for our sins. James Boyce in his commentary rightly says, Abraham's near sacrifice, notice he, by that he means he almost sacrificed Isaac. He was willing, but he didn't have to. His near sacrifice of his son Isaac is pageant and prophecy of the actual sacrifice by God of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on Calvary. Now, how do we get that from this text? Well, I'm going to try to give you the best answer that I can, the best shot at it that I can, because I think there are several indicators in the text that what Abraham did was pointing ahead to Jesus. First of all, we, de- we see the uniqueness of the Son. It parallels the uniqueness of Jesus. It is His Son, His only Son, the Son whom He loved, Isaac. Well, the same language is used of the Lord Jesus by God the Father and by Jesus Himself. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, that's the monogenes, his only unique son. Same type of thing. In Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 16, uh, this is, you know, he, he says, this is my beloved son at the baptisms of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, in Matthew chapter 17, we hear the same words by the Lord, by, by God the Father. Then there's a purpose of the sacrifice. This was supposed to be a burnt offering, and a burnt offering was, uh, was one in which the blood of the unblemished sacrifice paid the debt of the one, debt of sin of the one who was offering the sacrifice. Okay? And Jesus Christ was the ultimate and final sacrifice whose blood atoned for, satisfied the wrath of God. John said it in, in 1 John 2.2, 2, he, he himself is a propitiation. That's a fancy uh, 64 cent word for the, the, the atoning sacrifice. The satisfaction of God's wrath against sin was paid for when Jesus died on the cross. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Repeats the same idea in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus paid the price for sin. The debt that you and I owe because of our sin was paid for when Jesus died on the cross. There's a story about uh, a limousine traveling down the New Jersey Pike uh, Turnpike, and they got a flat tire. And uh, after they got the flat tire, uh, the the driver of the limousine got out to, to repair the tire, and a pickup truck pulled in and stopped right behind him, or right behind him, I think, turned on his flashers and got out. And the guy in the pickup had an air tank and and helped the guy take the tire off, repair the tire, fix the tire, reinstall the tire on the limousine. And then just as they were finishing the job, the the window, back window of the limousine came down. And uh, the person being driven by 
in the limousine, said to the guy who had helped him fix, what can, what can I do to, to thank you? I'm so grateful for your, your assistance today. He says, well, hey, and this was a rather famous person, and, and, the, and the guy said, well, you know what, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and my wife is kind of a big fan of yours. I think it'd be kind of cool, you know, would, would you mind sending her some flowers? Next day, a dozen roses show up on their doorstep. And the, the guy hands them to his wife, and they open the card, and inside the card it says, from a friend of your husband, happy Valentine's Day. And then uh, signed the card. And then at the bottom it says, oh, P.S., really appreciate you, your, your help the other day. By the way, I paid off your mortgage. Debt canceled. When Jesus died on the cross... He paid the debt that you and I owe for our sins. The sacrifice canceled the debt. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He did it for us. Then there's the promised lamb. Verses 8 and 13. Abraham named. Now notice what he named the place. The Lord will provide. He did not say the Lord did provide a lamb. Because the Lord didn't provide a lamb. What did the Lord provide? He provided a ram. You think, oh, that's kind of a distinction without a difference. Oh, no, it's a difference. He provided a ram. Abraham looked beyond, I believe, beyond the reality of the ram given in place of Isaac, a head to a lamb that God would provide. Now, fascinating is that a partial fulfillment of what Abraham spoke of here, a lamb will be provided, came a thousand years later when on the same location... In the temple of Solomon, the sacrifices of animals began. Read this is in Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And a lamb was provided for the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. But the full and final and ultimate fulfillment of what Abraham was speaking about here came a thousand years after Solomon's temple on the same mount in Jerusalem, when the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.29, was sacrificed on Calvary. The Lord will provide a Lamb. And He did. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see to it. Amazing. And the Lord will see to it to provide for our basic necessities of those who are His people. He has and He always will. But here we see that He provided for our most basic need, our deepest need, the forgiveness of sin when He sacrificed His Son. Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Him we have redemption through the forgiveness of sin, through His blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. 
His blood, Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. His blood shed to satisfy our sins. That's the burnt offering that sacrifice made the atonement for us. Have you received the gift that was offered on that mount in Jerusalem of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, through faith or trust in His Son? And if you have... Praise God, see the plan of God unfolding even thousand years before Solomon. Thousand years after Solomon. Thousand years after Jesus. Two thousand after Jesus. Rejoice in it. And if you haven't, then my call to you is don't wait. Acknowledge you're messed up and you deserve God's wrath, but Jesus paid the price. If you put your trust or your faith in Him, you will be forgiven. And have the promise of eternal life. And then we see the sacrifice of the son. The near, almost, sacrifice of Isaac points to the real sacrifice of Jesus. Who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And purify for himself a people of his own possession. Zealous for every good work. That he would work in our hearts, this Jesus, to redeem us from sin and refine us for his service. That's what he did on the cross of Calvary. And so Abraham was pointing to the death of Jesus that would pay the price for our sins, but he was also pointing to the resurrection of Jesus that would secure our pardon. Verses 13 through 19 kind of unfold it. Uh, and then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And we read that already, but here's the connection. What was Abraham doing here? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 56. I want you to see this verse. Your father Abraham, when Jesus, okay, Jesus, a little uh, context here, uh, Jesus is trying to defend himself, his own significance, when the Pharisees are denouncing him. And he says, the fa your father Abraham, speaking to the Pharisees and the Jewish people, was overjoyed when, that he would see my day. And he saw it and rejoiced. Jesus is saying that Abraham saw something that made him aware that there was coming another son that would satisfy the sins of the world. When Abraham received back his son because the ram became the substitute for Isaac, he saw ahead and rejoiced in the future death and the future resurrection of God's Son, Jesus. Now, how much of all that he actually understood, I don't know. But Jesus said he knew it, so I'm taking it on what Jesus said. Okay? He saw it, he rejoiced, and he knew that day was coming. He, he saw that day. So I'm not telling you that that's what Abraham saw. Jesus is telling you and telling us that that's what Abraham saw when he did it. So that... In that day, the Lord will provide so that it will be said in the mount of the Lord, Jerusalem, it will be provided. Abraham's hope of a, of a resurrection 
He thought Isaac would be resurrected. Okay, that was the hope referred to in Genesis 22.5. Was realized in Jesus. Not in Isaac. He thought it would happen, but no. He was prophesying ahead. Isaac was received back as a type of Christ. And his anticipated resurrection was actually realized in the person of Jesus. Boyce is correct. He says, that one experience that foreshadowed Christ's atoning death and anticipated his victorious resurrection. That's Genesis 22. Foreshadowed Christ's death, atoning death, and anticipated his glorious resurrection. Abraham's obedience secured fulfillment to the promise. And that's what we read in the act aftermath of uh, the, the sacrifice and the ram when we get into Genesis chapter 22 verses uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18. He showed that the actions pointed ahead to Christ. So when Abraham was obedient, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him again and said, you know what, you did this, so now I'm going to fulfill the promises that I made to you. And if you look at verse uh, 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed, your descendants, okay, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the sea which is on the seashore and your seed, your descendants, shall possess the... uh, the gate of their enemies, and in your seed, now what are you thinking? Your descendants. All the earth shall be blessed. Yeah, except Paul tells us that that's not what Jesus meant. He didn't mean all of the descendants at this point. He makes it singular. In Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 13 and 14 and 16, Paul makes it very clear that the seed that's referred to in Genesis 22:18 doesn't mean all of the descendants of Abraham. It means one descendant of Abraham, the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul says specifically that this is this Jesus who gave himself, if you would trust him, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the seed. So it's all pointing forward from Genesis that the New Testament points backwards and says it's speaking of Jesus. Inspired by faith and informed by the angel of the Lord, Abraham rejoiced to see the day of the Savior, Jesus, whose death would pay for our sin and whose resurrection would secure our pardon. Therefore, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. He was delivered up on account of our sins. He was raised in order to bring about our justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Did Abraham stand and deliver? Yeah, he did. He stood and he delivered. And his example should instruct us, should inspire us to walk by faith. He fixed his faith unflinchingly on Jesus. And his provision is great, but his greatest provision was our salvation and if you have never put your faith and your trust in Jesus that's the main thing that you need to exercise your faith in is to put your faith and your trust in the one who died for you so that you could live and be forgiven and my prayer is that you would do that and if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior you've been saved one rejoice 
The one that was promised has come and we are participants in it. But don't just rejoice. Respond and live by faith. Obey and rest in his power to do what he says. He supplies our needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Some of you know this song. His love has no limits. His grace has no mercy. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his, the riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up from, for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So, Creekside Church, where are we going to walk by faith? What is the fear that we face, that we need to face in faith and obedience to demonstrate genuine faith, to trust in God and see Him for the results? And each week, when we break bread, we don't really break it anymore, we just take it. (laughs) We take bread, we take the juice. What we do is we reflect on the fact that God in his infinite mercy provided this sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be free. So we could be liberated. But then that we would live as his people. Like Abraham did. In faith. Trusting him for it so that we can see more people come to faith. In these uncertain times we need the faith of Abraham because we can't see into the future completely. But we know the one who can. And we know the one who did. And we know the one who will take care of us in the process. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, uh, I invite you to take a few moments to search your heart, confess your sin, and ask God, Lord, where do I need to step out in faith? What are you asking me to do? How can I serve you? How can I care for my neighbors? How can I be a better servant in my home? What has you've called me to do to be a, a, a more supportive child or a more loving spouse? That I need, I face my fears because I'm scared, but I need to step out in faith and trust that God is going to care for me in the middle of it. Committed action in the face of difficult circumstances. And then as the praise team comes and as you feel led, then you can get up out of your seat, come take the bread and the the cup as as a reminder of God's gracious and merciful care for you and as a motivation to continue to live for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Abraham. And Lord, I I thank you that you have not called us to sacrifice literally our sons like you did Abraham. Although you have called us to give our kids into your hands and not to cling to them, but to commit them into your service and to pray that they would be effective, fruitful servants of Christ. I pray, thanking you for this bread and this juice. And Lord, I pray that in my own heart, in each of our hearts, we would take it conscious of the cost and grateful for the benefit. We pray in Jesus' name.